Going to Jonah chapter 2. So Jonah chapter 2. And when we think about this word before us, when we think about the people that we are introduced to in and, and through it, sometimes when we think about the people that we're reading about, we can walk away and we can kind of walk away glad that we're not like them. So we can walk away glad that we're not like Cain, you know, committing violence against our brother. Or we can walk away glad that we're not like Jacob, who schemes um, his way through life, or glad that we're not like David, who um, commits such wicked and calculated sins against God, or walk away glad that we're not like Elijah, who allowed the enemy um, to depress him enough to where he wanted to surrender, or glad that we're not like Samson, just completely, totally self-sufficient, or glad we're not like uh, Nebuchadnezzar, um, one who is obsessed and even ruined by power or we read the word and we walk away glad that we're not like the Pharisees who were amazingly religious yet spiritually lost or we walk away glad that we're not like Jonah who runs away from the command of God and runs away from the presence of God and we're sometimes we read that and then we stop and we say hang on but but wait the clear picture of this word before us is that hear this we are them the clear picture of this word before them is that we are Cain, we are Jacob, we are David, we are Pharisees, and we are indeed Jonah. And stories like this, like what we come to um, in our series walking through this book of Jonah, they're in the Bible to remind us that we are not righteous on our own, and instead we must run to God for his mercy. We must run to him for the mercy that he alone gives. So this morning, welcome to week two of our series. I'm in the book of, of Jonah, where we are saying, I am Jonah, a story of a man, a fish, uh, a nation, and God's relentless grace. So this is the story of, of Jonah, one man, a big fish, a wicked nation, and yet God who is, God who is gracious and merciful. And last week we looked on and looked at God's call upon Jonah to go and preach a message of judgment, but also a message of mercy to the wicked people of, of Nineveh. Yet because of their wickedness, because of their cruelty, especially against Israel, Jonah did not want to go. And in fact, he did not want God to forgive them at all. He thought that if any nation was deserving of God's wrath, it was Nineveh. And the important lesson that we get from this is that we are great at judging everyone's sin except our own. So that's the lesson. We're great at judging everyone else's sin. We are very bad at judging our own. Um, just don't seem to, to get it. So in Jonah's mind, the most wicked people out there were the Ninevites, and they didn't deserve God's forgiveness. They didn't deserve God's grace. So Jonah, in not wanting to go to Nineveh, instead found a ship headed to Tarshish, some 2,500 miles away from Nineveh. And as we said last week, if you are looking to run away from the will of God, the enemy will always provide a ship. The enemy will always provide a ship that's heading the opposite direction from what God is calling you to go. Yet the beautiful picture that we see in Jonah chapter 1 is that God would not allow Jonah to sin successfully. 
So just think about that. God would not allow Jonah to sin successfully. And so last week ended with Jonah being inside the belly of a great fish for three days and uh, three nights. And I, I don't think we can even imagine what life would have been like inside the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights. But let me just give you a few little facts it is said that temperatures would have been in this great fish would have been anywhere between 108 and 115 degrees. So just think about that. Then the gastric juices that would have been flowing all over the place would have continually washed over Jonah without a doubt bleaching his skin. And then inside of that fish had to sm smell worse than a porta potty at the Jacksonville Fairgrounds during Florida Georgia weekend. I'm just, I mean, I had, just, just can't even imagine how bad things were. And some of you, maybe you're here this morning, and maybe your thought process is, is this story even possible? Is it, is it possible for a man to be, be swallowed by a fish, to survive for three days, to be spit out or vomited out unharmed, is that even possible? And some of you would begin to answer kind of scientifically, pointing out, to, uh, pointing out species of fish that might be big enough to, to swallow humans, or maybe you would point back to stories that you heard um, in the past of people who had been swallowed by fish and were found and saved pretty quickly afterwards. But let me just say this. The biblical answer is that a a, the possibility of a fish swallowing a human and that human surviving for three days and three nights and then being um, spit out, the possibility of that happening is zero. Get this, apart from God. That's the whole point of this. Apart from God, it's impossible. But as we just said, with God, all things are possible. And I, let me just say this. I believe that if God would have wanted to, God could have provided central heating and air and cable television inside of the belly of the fish if he would have wanted to. This is how amazing our God is. Yet it's amazing how famous this fish has gotten. And in the midst of the fish getting famous, we have somehow missed the point of the story. Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way. He says, the fish must be the most criticized fish to ever swim in the Mediterranean. One sometimes hopes that they may be made to speak in the new earth to this creature so that it might have the opportunity to speak to its critics. But then he says this, while it's commendable that we should carefully examine the authenticity of such tales, there are reason for cautions as we do so. The most important is, of course, that too much discussion about the great fish can divert us from the real issue. The narrative is not really about a fish at all. The fish has only a walk-on part in this gripping drama. And listen to this. Focus on this great fish and we may lose sight of the great God. If we spend so much time focusing on a great fish, we might lose sight of the great God. Let me just say this, personally and pastorally speaking, the reason I believe that Jonah was literally swallowed by a great fish is, is twofold. First of all, because the Word of God declares it. So the Word of God declares it. And Jonah is written. Some people say, well, this, this book of Jonah must be a parable, and this really didn't happen. No, this is not a, a, 
a parable. This is a historic story using a, a historical figure with a historical nation. What happened? So it's written as it's history. But also, the reason I believe that this literally happened is, get this, because Jesus believed that it literally happened. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 40, listen to what Jesus said. It says, Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then he says this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus believed it. Therefore, I believe it. So the issue really becomes, think about this, the issue now becomes, what do we believe about Jesus? And at the end of this morning's message, and then at the end of this series, in just a few weeks, it will all come back to Jesus. For if you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, and if you believe that he did all that the word said he did, especially the incarnation and the resurrection, if we really believe that, then we should have no problem believing that God is able to um, make a big fish swallow a man and spit him back out again. We should have no problem with that. As I said last week, uh, to think about this story, it's not even in the top ten of the hardest things to believe in the Bible. Not, not, even, not even close. But the, the picture is our God is able so what i want us to do this morning i want us to dive in and as i said last week pun intended we want to dive into jonah chapter 2 and we want to listen to the prayer of a man who in this moment his will was being captured by god and we're going to see in a few weeks maybe not his heart his heart was not yet captured but his will in this moment was being captured and we're going to actually start in jonah 1 verse 17 and then read all the way to chapter 2, verse 10. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word together. So we're going to read uh, Jonah 1, 17, and then all the way to chapter 2, verse 10. So it says this, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The floods surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love but i with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what i have vowed i will pay and then don't miss this salvation belongs to the lord and the lord spoke to the fish and it vomited jonah out upon the dry land let's pray 
Father, we come again today to your word, believing that you are who you say you are, and you have done everything your word says you have done. We believe it. And we believe, God, that you will, by your grace and your goodness, sometimes take us through storms and even place us in places, God, where we have nowhere else to go so that we must encounter you, that we must deal with your word and your calling and your presence. God, maybe you're doing that today to to some even now, and maybe you will in this moment do that. And we pray today would be a day that we do as, as Jonah did, that we cry out to you, O God, believing and knowing that you hear and you answer. Just speak to your people, God, for we are listening. Help us to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So just think about what's happening here in Jonah chapter 2. And this is where I think I, I think it's... it's, it's We can't emphasize this enough. I don't think we can even begin to grasp what it means for us that we have the ability to call upon the God of the universe. I don't think we can even put that into words, even though we try, that we have the opportunity of calling upon the creator and sustainer of all things. The one who spoke out or breathed out all the stars and called them all by name the one who is first and last, the beginning and the end, the one who is holy, 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 the one who the prophet Habakkuk says is too pure to even look upon sin. And this is the God. He is the one that we call to. And then get this. He answers us. He answers us. I mean, sometimes we forget the picture of what that means. Or, let me say this, we begin to think small thoughts about prayer. And understand this, us, those of us in this room that are on on this side of the cross, the reason we are able to call out to God like we are is because of what Jesus did on the cross. Therefore, never again think small thoughts about prayer. Don't think small thoughts about the, the reality that we are able to come into the presence of God. But we call out to him and he, he answers us. And when we consider, think about Jonah 1. So think about Jonah chapter 1, where we were last week. We would do well to remember that in the midst of the storm beyond compare, Jonah refused to pray. So The godless mariners were praying to their gods, and yet the prophet of God was asleep. He was asleep. He was nowhere to be found. Abraham Lincoln once said this, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Things have now gotten so bad for Jonah that he feels led to pray because he has nowhere else to go. He is in the belly of a fish and where, well, we won't get into all that, but where else in that moment can he go? And Jonah too is the prayer of Jonah. Some have called it the Psalm of Jonah. This is the picture um, encapsulating all that was on his heart during these, these three days coming out in this prayer, but the, the picture seems to be that Jonah had been in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, and yet 
even then had not yet prayed. Maybe he felt overly punished by God. It's amazing. Sometimes we can feel that. I think of Cain. Hear this. Cain killed his brother. Yet when God came to Cain and said, here's the punishment in Genesis 4, Cain said, my punishment is more than I can bear. Sometimes we think that God punishes us more than he should. And we fail to realize the consequences of just one sin in the presence of a holy God. Yet, here's the picture. God always does what is necessary and what is right in his grace to get the attention of those he's pursuing. God always does what is right in his grace to get the attention of anyone he is pursuing. For as we all know, and maybe you don't know, but you will today, the belly of the fish is not a great place to live. But it is a great place to learn. It's not a great place to live, but it is a great place to learn. So let's, this morning, unpack three truths that float to the surface um, in, in Jonah chapter 2 from this prayer, this psalm of Jonah. So the first truth is this. The psalm of Jonah declares the futility of life without God. It declares the futility of life without God. Listen to what Jonah says. I cried out, called out to the Lord, out of my distress, out of the belly of Sheol, the place of death. Then he says in verse 4, I says, I'm driven away from your sight. Jonah in this moment was in a place of total hopelessness. You ever been there? Waves were crashing continually upon him. The weeds like chains were wrapping around his head. The bars like a prison were closing in upon him. I would venture to guess that Jonah had never felt more alone than he did in this moment. For Jonah had tried to run away. Get this, not just from the command of God. The Bible says he was running away from the presence of God. He was trying to run away from the presence of God, and now in this moment, God had given him what he wanted. Remember what we said last week? One of the greatest ways that God um, punishes us or corrects us here in this earth or in, in the life that we live is by giving us what we want. So one of the ways that God deals most with us is by giving sinful people what we want. And then we realize, God, that's not what I wanted. It's not what I wanted, God. It's, I thought that's what I wanted. That's not what it, it was. So probably for the first time in Jonah's life, he has nowhere to go. There's no religious activities for him to perform. There's no place in the belly of this fish for him to stand up and recite Scripture. He is all by himself, but I believe something begins to happen. He begins to get it. As he's all by himself, he begins to get it. He begins to realize the depth of his sin. He begins to realize what running from God had brought him. And if you were to ask what, what had it brought him, he answers. Verse 2, it had brought him distress. He was distressed. He was completely, totally stressed out because when you and I run from God, guess what? We have to carry it all on our own. When we run from God, we have to carry it all. When we run to God, we were able to cast it all upon him. But he was distressed. He was carrying it all. In the same way, the threat of death was over him. And he felt like he was away or being driven away from the sight of God. Or to put it a different way, Jonah believed in this moment that he could not go any further away from God than he was. And yet, get this. 
he still called out to God. He was being led to believe by the enemy the same way we are led to believe. I've never been further away from God than I am right now. And when Satan begins to do that in our lives, guess what we don't do oftentimes? We don't pray. We don't call out to God. We say, I've blown it. Can't get any worse than it is right now. I'm just done. But not Jonah. Even in this moment, Jonah calls out to the Lord. Whatever sin is in our lives, repentance always begins with utter despair. With us realizing what we have done against God. When we are, when you and I are in the midst of paying the consequences for our sin, we might even sense the shadow of, of death. We might even feel that. We, like Jonah, might feel like there's no hope. But let me just say this, child of God, if you are breathing, there is hope. Amen. If you're breathing, if God has put that breath in your lungs, there's hope. There's hope for those who are in Him. So the question this morning, are you in a futile and hopeless place this morning? Could it be that you are there because you are running away from the Lord instead of running to Him? And will you in this moment, even now, begin to cry out to the One who has brought you here? Will you do that? The Psalm of Jonah declares the futility of life without God. But then secondly, the Psalm of Jonah declares the absurdity, the absurdity of idols in the place of God. It declares how absurd idols are in the place of God. Listen to what Jonah says in verse 8. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. I love one version that says this. Those who put their trust in idols forsake the grace that could be theirs. Let that sink in for a second. So this verse, just in case you're wondering, sits right in the middle of this whole book. And what Jonah is doing is Jonah is, first of all, doing what any good um, child of God um, would do in this moment. He's remembering first the sin of the mariners. He's remembering first the, the sin of the sailors, how they were calling out hopelessly to their gods who were not gods at all. So he's remembering them, but also something else is happening. He's beginning to realize that the reason he is where he is is because of his own idolatry. In fact, as we said last week, when the plans and the will of God went this way and what Jonah wanted went this way, Jonah stuck with what he wanted. Jonah chose to follow his desires, meaning Jonah chose to follow his own idols. And there are certain themes in Scripture that beat us over the head with persistence. <laughs> and idolatry is, is one of them. In fact, idolatry is such a prominent theme in the Bible that some have said that it is the central problematic theme of the Bible. That God made us in His image and yet we turn to idols. We turn to other things that are not God. And when it comes to idolatry, we are so creative in the idols that we put forth. In fact, John Calvin even put it this way, the heart of man is an idol-making factory. The heart of every man is an idol-making factory. Give us a chance. Give you and, and give myself, give us a chance, and we'll replace God with any and everything. Just give us a chance. 
And most modern people don't quite get it. Most modern people say, well, we, we aren't bowing down to idols like they did in the Bible. Um, we're way more sophisticated than, than they were. But let me just say this this morning. You and I, we are not beyond the, um, this picture. We are not beyond idolatry. We're not beyond the threat of idolatry. We are not beyond just the, the way of the temptation of idolatry. We're not beyond it. In fact, we are, if we're not careful, we just clothe it in a different way and we declare it something else. But here's the picture this morning. Every sin that we will ever commit, every rebellion against God is done because of idolatry. Because we are seeking something else in that moment besides God. We're seeking something else besides Him. I love the words of Martin Luther. He said, To whatever we look for any good thing and for refuge in every need, that is what is meant by God. To have a God is nothing else than to trust and believe in Him from the heart. To whatever you give your heart and entrust your being, that, I say, is really your God. So whatever you trust when times get difficult, that's your God. Whatever you wake up thinking about in the morning and go to bed thinking about at night, that is your God. And all of us in this room have one time or another given ourselves in pursuit of a God who cannot save. We've all done it. Listen to what Psalm 115 says. Psalm 115 says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. It says they have mouths, they don't speak. They have eyes, they can't hear. They have, or they have eyes they can't see. They have ears they can't hear. They have noses they can't smell. They have hands they can't touch. They have feet they can't go. And then it says this, those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. Psalm 115 says, whoever trusts a false god or a dead god becomes just like the god that they're trusting. Let that sink in for a second. We will, brothers and sisters, we will become like whatever it is that we worship. We will become what we worship. If we worship God and God alone, we will become more and more like Him. If we worship dead things, we will become more and more dead. So follow with me. Just listen Just listen to what Jonah had learned through all of this. Jonah had learned that when you turn to idols, you forfeit the grace that could be yours. Just follow with me. Don't miss this today, brothers and sisters. When you turn to idols, you forfeit the grace that could be yours. Stop forsaking the grace that could be yours. And let me just say this. I'm not trying to be a prosperity preacher here and this is not what I mean so don't follow me there but here's what I'm saying it doesn't matter what you have done it doesn't matter what your idol has led you to do God is a gracious and pursuing and forgiving God in fact Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 says where our sin increases grace increases all the more. Don't 
Don't turn your back on that. Don't forfeit the grace that could be yours. Don't do it. The prayer, the Psalm of Jonah declares the absurdity of idols in place of God. Don't forfeit what only God can give us, his grace. Which leads us to the last truth, which is this. The Psalm of Jonah declares the gracious salvation of God. It declares the gracious salvation of God. So Jonah's closing, closing line in this prayer says it all. Listen to what he says in verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And there are really only three types of people in this world. There are people who live in total and complete unbelief. So the first type of, of people is those who choose to live in complete and total unbelief. They have no religion, no relationship with any religious thought. They believe that they do not need to be saved from anything. So there are those in this world that have that mindset, I don't need to be saved from anything. Why would you ever declare a message of salvation to me? I don't need to be saved. I'm good. Then the second kind of people are those who are religious, who have a form of godliness, but, get this, who have never come to God on God's terms. Instead, these are those who have in their own minds, in their own way, somehow they have earned or found their salvation. And then the third type of there are those who have been saved by grace through faith and nothing of themselves who understand it is a gift of God, not of works, so that we cannot ever boast. Never boast in ourselves. And the picture of this book is that Jonah had an appointment with a great fish. And this great fish proved to be his salvation. And yet, Jonah doesn't owe his deliverance to a fish. He owes his deliverance to God. Jonah didn't order up the fish. In fact, Jonah would have said, just take me to Nineveh. Jonah didn't do this. This was God's doing. And this, follow with me here, when we think about this story... In the same way, Jonah does not deserve the salvation that he receives. For two chapters, get this, Jonah was the villain of the story. Jonah's the villain here. He's the bad guy. He's the one running away from the presence of the Lord. He doesn't deserve salvation. He doesn't merit salvation. But God, in his mercy, sends a great fish to be his rescue boat. Since a great fish to be his rescue boat. Jonah was hopeless. Jonah was helpless. There was no saving himself. And yet sitting in the belly of a fish, Jonah was able to say, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And in coming to understand this priceless truth, Jonah is released from his gracious nightmare. <laughs> In fact, some people believe that as Jonah was praying these words of repentance, in that exact moment, um, God moved the, the well to have some kind of indigestion, and things happened, and out comes Jonah. But it, was, it started with a prayer of repentance, and then out he comes. But follow with me here. 
Don't miss this. Let me just say this. When it comes to the book of Jonah, we must read this book in two ways. There's two ways we have to read this book. First of all, we are Jonah. We're Jonah. We have run away from God. Not just the commands of God, we've run away from the presence of God. And God in His mercy and grace has pursued us. Aren't you glad that God has pursued you? Aren't you glad that God hasn't written you off? Aren't you glad that God didn't just say, well, have it your way? Aren't you glad that God said, no, you are mine and I will pursue you and I will get your attention? Aren't you glad that God loved you enough to do that? So we read this book, we are Jonah. But then the second way that we read this book is this, Jesus is Jonah. Jesus is Jonah. Not that Jesus ran away from God, not that Jesus sinned against God, nothing like that. But think about it like this. Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights. So Jesus was in the heart of the earth for three days. Jonah in chapter 2 cried out to God, very reminiscent of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, not my will, O God, but yours be done. And think about it like this. We did all the running, and Jesus took all the punishment. We did all the running. Jesus took all the punishment. Therefore, and I believe this with all my heart, you and I will never have to fully go through what Jonah went through because Jesus went through it for us. We'll never have to go fully through what Jonah went through because Jesus went through it for us. And according to Romans chapter 2, seeing the kindness of God should lead us to repentance. Seeing his kindness should lead us to repentance. In the words of one pastor, he put it this way, you should see yourself in Jonah and be warned. You should see Jesus in Jonah and worship. You should see yourself in Jonah and be warned. You should see Jesus in Jonah and worship. The goal of every sermon is the worship of God. The goal of every sermon is the worship of Him. This was the prayer of Jonah. The question this morning is, has this been your prayer? Has there ever been a time in your life where God has brought you to the depths of your sin? And in bringing you to the depths of your sin, you, you felt the distress of your sin, you felt the death that your sin was associated with, deserving of, you felt that you couldn't go any further in that moment than you were from God. And you cried out to God for only what God could do, which is to save you. Has there been a time in your life where that has been your story? And you have asked God to save you from the consequences of your own sin. If that is not you, may you understand today that the Bible has set aside a day of salvation. And it's called today. May today be the day of your salvation. But maybe there's others in this room and you're a child of God, but you, like Jonah, have taken off, fleeing the presence of, of God. And in doing so, you're feeling the distress of having to carry all your burdens on your own. May today be a day that you remember the kindness of God in and through your life, even the kindness of God in bringing you here and repent of your sins. And maybe you're here today and you would say, well, man, I, I'm doing everything that God has told me to do this last week. I, I, I nailed it all. 
that would be you, I would say, well, first of all, you need to ask God to forgive you for the lie that you just told. Um, but, but maybe, just maybe, if you're walking along in obedience and you're just walking there, as we said last week, don't stop watching and praying. Because Satan will provide a ship ready to take you away from the will of God. Don't get on it. Don't get on it. Don't allow yourself. So what we're going to do in this moment is, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand, and we're going to call the, the band up, and we're about to enter in a time of invitation. And what we're about to, to sing is really kind of the prayer of what Jonah in this moment was singing or saying. We're about to sing a song that says, I surrender all. Not I surrender some, not I surrender most, I surrender all. And this is what Jonah was doing in this moment. He was saying, God, I'm going to pay you what I vowed. I'm going to do it, God, whatever it is, I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to forsake the grace that could be mine. And I just pray today that whatever it is that God is telling you that you would do it. If it's salvation, that today would be the day that you cry out to God. That you turn from your sin, turn from trusting yourself, and turn to the one who has done everything for you. Turn to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Or maybe you're sitting in the belly of the fish. And I would tell you the same thing. Turn to Jesus. Turn to him. We're about to enter this time, and I say this, what comes after this is, is communion, the Lord's Supper. And when we think about this, we don't ever want to approach this in an unworthy manner. So if nothing else is going on in this moment, ask God to prepare your heart for what's coming. That you would not enter this, this time or this table in an unworthy manner at all. But that you would enter into what's coming next with a picture of absolute celebration, absolute rejoicing in what God in Christ has done for you. Let's pray. Father, you are everything to us. Oh, Lord, we come before you today and we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness that you would even stoop to hear us let alone to save us. That you would stoop to do that, oh God. And may your kindness, Lord, lead us to repentance. I pray for anyone in this room today that doesn't know you, that today, this moment, would be the day of salvation. I pray for those brothers and sisters today who have found them their own lives running away from God, that today, by your grace, that you would get their attention and bring them back to you. There is no life outside of you. There is no peace in the borderlands. There's no peace wandering around in the wilderness. There is only peace in your presence. Bring the children of God back to you today. And then, Lord, prepare us for what's coming. Prepare our hearts and minds and lives for time of celebration of this communion table prepare us father we pray in jesus name